News Talk 1110 and 99.3 WBT. Brett Jensen here with you on this Friday night of Breaking with Brett Jensen. 704-570-1110. As always is the telephone number. And guys, follow me on X at Brett underscore Jensen for all the latest and breaking news in and around the Charlotte area. And if you've been following me on X, then you would know who my guests are tonight. It's going to be Del Falwell, the North Carolina Treasurer, as well as the North Carolina Superintendent, Catherine Truitt. And we're going to jump straight into it because I wanted to talk to Del Falwell about the Ozempic drug. Del Falwell made national news this week. He was on Fox and everywhere else talking about how North Carolina will not insure the drug Ozempic for people who don't have diabetes. In case you're unaware, Ozempic is this miracle weight loss drug that was actually created for people with diabetes. And one of the side effects was people started losing a lot of weight. And what Del Falwell did, along with 34 other states across the country, say, look, we will continue to provide coverage for people who take Ozempic as long as they have diabetes. If you're using it solely for a weight loss drug, we will not cover it. So I wanted to have Del Falwell on, the North Carolina treasurer, to talk about that and then also get an update on how his campaign is going for North Carolina governor. So first of all, Treasurer Falwell, I really do appreciate you joining me tonight. And second of all, what went into the thought process that said, look, we will not cover Ozempic as a drug for state employees for those who do not have diabetes? I'll be glad to tell you that, uh, you know, conservatism is not what you say. It's actually what you do. And this decision by the state health plan board is not uh, one that they desire to make. We don't question whether Ozempic uh, is effective as a weight loss drug. We're questioning what we're having to pay for it. The retail price of this one drug can be as much as $1,500, whereas the people in their home country only pay $250 in Denmark. And this uh, decision was based on the fact that the cost of this one drug could approach $170 million this year. And it's important for your listeners to know the context of what $170 million is. That's also equivalent to a 4% bonus, nearly 250,000 retirees. And the board was faced with a decision of the plan uh, being under siege financially, potentially having to double the premiums on teachers for the individual coverage or make the decision that they made. And that's how we got to where we are. We take obesity very seriously. This same board, before anybody was talking about this, Brett, was eliminated the cost of insulin for all state employees nearly five years ago. So... We take obesity and we take insulin adherence very seriously, but when one drug has the potential of bankrupting the plan, uh, that's the conclusion the board had to come to. I'm talking with North Carolina Treasurer Del Falwell, who recently just said last week that the state will not provide coverage for people who use Ozempic only as a weight loss drug, but it will still provide coverage to those who use it as a drug for diabetes. And I heard anchors on Fox News say this earlier this week. That in the long run, wouldn't it just balance out between covering Ozempic as a weight loss drug as opposed to covering health insurance and medical costs for those who have overweight issues that cause all health problems towards the end of their life? Wouldn't that just balance out in the end? When the folks from Novo Nordis, who is a great employer and taxpayer in North Carolina, came over the ocean to meet with me and other members of state health plan, and they talked about the potential savings associated with this drug, I said, well, I like math. I understand finance. Why don't you just finance these savings that you're so sure that we're going to receive at a half a percent for the next 20 years, and then we can do business. So they had no interest 
in backing up their claim about the future cost savings of this drug when I actually put it into mathematical terms. I bet that proposal caught quite a few people off guard. Well, in most meetings, I'm not the IQ person. I'm the ICANN person. And I think it's important that we have elected leaders who always advocate for the invisible, always do in Raleigh and in Washington what they promised people they would do across the state. But most importantly, have the vision to see what's happening, the humility to hear what is happening, and the courage, not the rage, but the courage to do what needs to be done. And what I've always brought to all of my public service life of saving lives, saving minds, and saving money is the ability not just to think inside and outside the box, but also use both sides of the box. And you have many listeners who may disagree on different types of topics. They may even disagree about how much government is is necessary. But there's one thing that every one of your listeners agrees on. Whatever level of government we end up with, we want it to work. And by asking questions like I just asked Nova Nordis, that's how I try to make government work on behalf of, in this case, those that teach, protect, and serve, and taxpayers like them. Talking with North Carolina Treasurer Del Falwell, who's also running for North Carolina governor, early voting started last week. How's the campaign going? I've been racing motorcycles 47 years. I've, I've never driven a top-fuel dragster, which goes uh, 300 miles an hour in five seconds or less. But I feel like I'm strapped to a top-fuel dragster right now. When you look at the endorsements coming in from former Governor Jim Martin, the State Employees Association, who have never endorsed a Republican in the history of their organization, two citizens' moms, grassroots government, North Carolina, stand for health care freedom, the News and Observer, the Charlotte Observer, the Beaufort Observer, Craven County Taxpayers Association. The endorsements are coming in very quickly, and as you've seen in Charlotte with your own eyes, uh, I'm winning every legitimate straw poll there is across the state. And the reason is is that people are understanding several things real quickly. One is this is not a decision you make in March, and then if you don't like your decision, you can reverse it in April. Number two, people are getting serious about their vote because they're tired of losing. Number three, they want someone that they could actually see as their governor who can actually govern and explain conservatism without offending people. Number four, someone they can actually hand the car keys to state government to for four years and come back and that car not be repossessed and in better working condition. And lastly, someone who can restore the Republican Party back to what it was when I joined it nearly 50 years ago which was a party of conservatism, which means to save, common sense, courtesy, which means answering your phones at state government, humility, admitting when you're wrong, and ethics, what you do when no one's watching and when the powerful forces want you to look the other way. People are starving for that type of leadership, and that's what I'm offering because, simply put, I know who I am, I know who I love, and I know who I belong to on this earth and beyond. Pretty simple for me. I want to ask you a very blunt question. Yes. How do you beat Mark Robinson and Bill Graham between now and March 5th? I think Mark Robinson's beating himself. And how can you write in a book that women talk too much, shouldn't be in a position of leadership, women who don't know their place in the homes with a man who doesn't know his? Ask rhetorically, if you beat the bird dog's hell out of your wife at the mall, is that still considered domestic violence? Saying very negative things about any benefits that came out of the civil rights movement denying the Holocaust. I think what's happening, and you can see this mathematically, because you know that you cannot manage what you can't measure. 
and mathematically the number of undecideds in this race is growing because people are actually looking at who Mark Robinson has been, who he is, and who he will be. And the reason that some of these groups have pulled their endorsement from him and given it to me is that in almost every single case, he's for something before he's against it or he's against something before he's for it because he's having to do what he's told and what the, his consultants are telling him to do. People are tired of counterfeit conservatives. And that's why in the last two presidential elections, I've received more votes than Donald Trump did twice and nearly 500,000 more votes than my opponents did against Josh Stein. That is the type of conservative leadership that people are thirsty for. North Carolina Treasurer and gubernatorial candidate Del Falwell, I really do appreciate you joining me tonight. Well, thank you for for having me. And as I said earlier, uh, all people want is for someone to speak to them like adults. And what they hear makes common sense. And I appreciate you giving me the opportunity to do that. So when we come back, North Carolina Superintendent Catherine Truitt. There are a lot of things being said about Catherine Truitt by her opponent. And I'm going to see what is actually true and what's not true. So Catherine Truitt, the North Carolina Superintendent, when we return, I'm Brett Jensen. And you're listening to Breaking with Brett Jensen. News Talk 1110 and 99.3 WBT. Brett Jensen here with you on this Friday night as we continue breaking with Brett Jensen. And we're going up until 8 o'clock tonight. So now we're going to be joined by Catherine Truitt. She is the state superintendent. Yes, that superintendent in charge of education and stuff like that. Overseas education in North Carolina. There are some things that she can do. There are some things that she can't do. A lot of the local districts have control over what they do and how they do it. And there's almost very little that they can do up in Raleigh about it. You guys know I shoot you straight all the time and provide you all the best information that I possibly can. And most of the time, it's more information than you will get in other news outlets here in the Charlotte area. And so I wanted to let you know, as a journalist, it's not an endorsement by any stretch of the imagination. You guys know better than that. But I wanted to let you know there are a lot of things being said about Catherine Truitt that are simply not true or highly exaggerated or completely taken out of context. That's just a fact. And to be perfectly honest with you, some supporters of Catherine Truitt's opponent could very well end up getting sued. Like some of these things and some of these claims are so outrageous and outrageously false and just flat out lies that claims like these made against Catherine Truitt and some of the people that have endorsed her. These are usually the type of things that lead to lawsuits. It's my duty to let you know about them. Even if this wasn't Republican on Republican and it was Republican doing it to a Democrat, I would tell you all about this because you need to know the truth as you go into the polls. So I thought I would have Catherine Truett on, the North Carolina superintendent, to talk about what is true, what's not true, and also get into some of the things like how far back were schools set when COVID hit. Is CRT still prevalent in the school systems in North Carolina? And a lot of various topics. So first of all, Catherine, I really do appreciate you joining me tonight. And second of all, what has your opponent in the Republican primary said about you that is blatantly and categorically not true? Well, that's a great question. And I would say there's two categories of misinformation. There are claims that my opponent is making about her platform and what she wants to do if elected. And then there are claims about me that are um, just outright lies. So let's start with the, the claims about the role. So... The state superintendent is a position that was created by our North Carolina Constitution, and this position is elected, and it is the 
person who leads the Department of Public Instruction, which is the administrative agency of the State Board of Education. This position does not have any authority over local superintendents who are hired and fired by locally elected boards of education. So while I may be able to um, work with the legislature to get legislation passed um, and, and maybe have some impact at the local level through relationships with superintendents, I don't have any authority over local boards of education, personnel, safety policies, any, anything like that. And what's really important for your listeners to know is that the state superintendent doesn't have any authority over local curriculum decisions. So while academic standards are created at the state level and voted on by the State Board of Education, curriculum decisions are always made at the local level. The other thing that I've been hearing quite a bit about is um, that I am allowing registered sex offenders to keep their teaching licenses. And this is just an outright lie. I actually worked with the General Assembly last session to pass legislation called the Protect Our Students Act, which strengthens penalties for those who commit these heinous crimes of sexual misconduct at school. Um, and, and also, we're going to be requiring a video for middle and high school students to watch the first week of school that will teach them about grooming practices of adults. Because I am seeing too many instances of middle and high school teachers who are using texting to groom students into uh, starting sexual relationships with them. And this is so concerning to me that we got this written into legislation to, to attempt to fix this, this problem. I'm talking to North Carolina State Superintendent Catherine Schrute, who is in the Republican primary and has a challenger. It's been a rather contentious challenge, to say the least. So, Catherine, I'm curious. I ask a lot of political candidates this question because when you're running in the same party, a lot of times there are the same beliefs. But, you know, there are differences as well. So I want to ask you, what, if any, are the differences between you and your opponent? Well, we are really night and day, actually. So um, I have been a lifelong educator. I started my career as a high school English teacher, which I did for 10 years. And then I spent three years as a turnaround coach, which is um, uh, a master teacher who goes into low-performing public schools and helps them turn things around. And then I spent time as a governor's education advisor. I was Governor Pat McCrory's senior education advisor. So that was really my first uh, foray into the policy space. And then I spent some time working in higher education. So I have worked in education for almost 30 years now. My opponent is a nurse who has homeschooled her five children and has never participated in the public school system of North Carolina. And what that says to me is a couple of things, Brett. First of all, um, the Department of Public Instruction has a $12 billion budget and a staff of 1,300 people. If a person does not have executive experience, um, regardless of what their political leanings are, you have to have executive experience to run an agency with a $12 billion budget. The other thing I would say is that someone who has never participated in the public school system 
has no business wanting to run public education in our state. There is a credibility issue at, at play here that I think is important for voters to understand. Um, I, I would also say that while we may feel the same about the uh, damaging effects of wokeism in our public schools and the need to ensure that wokeism plays no role in the education of our children and that we affirm every day the role of the parent in raising our students. Uh, I would say that there is, um, my opponent does not have a grasp on reality of what this role is and how it can impact the changes that she wants to see. And she was annihilated in a local Wake County, um, local board of elections, uh, school board elections, and has absolutely zero chance of winning this election in the general. When we return, we'll continue our conversation with Catherine Truitt, the North Carolina State Superintendent who's up for re-election and is in the middle of a Republican primary. All of this as we continue our preview to the primary. I'm Brett Jensen, and you're listening to Breaking with Brett Jensen. And now let's swing on over to the WBT Newsroom with Anna Erickson. News Talk 1110 and 99.3 WBT. Brett Jensen here with you on this Friday night edition of Breaking with Brett Jensen. We're going up until 8 o'clock tonight. And I'm continuing my conversation with Catherine Truitt. She's the North Carolina superintendent. She oversees education in the state. She's in the midst of the Republican primary trying to seek re-election. And this is the first time I've had a really extensive interview with Catherine Truitt. And I thought this would be the perfect time to do it as we continue our preview to the primary, which culminates on March 5th. So, Catherine, can you talk about the situation concerning COVID and the shutting down of schools and just how far back kids were set across the state? It's been really, really bad here in Mecklenburg County, more so here in Mecklenburg County than the surrounding counties, because Mecklenburg County kept their classrooms closed longer than all the other counties that surround Mecklenburg County. But can you talk about it, how it is across the state? Yeah, so school closures had a detrimental effect for all groups of students. Even our highest performing student subgroups, our Asian community, were negatively impacted academically by school closures during the pandemic. And so when I came to office, I created something called the Office of Learning Recovery. And I did this because I knew that we were going to be getting billions of dollars from the federal government very soon. And that that money, 90% of that money, would flow directly to districts. And I knew that we had a lot of districts that would struggle to determine how best to spend that money to help kids recover from the pandemic. So what, in addition to creating that office, we worked with SAS, which is located in Cary, big analytics firm. Um, and we created an algorithm that would allow us to see down to the student level where the biggest gaps in learning were, where, where were, uh, which subjects suffered the most learning loss and where do students have the most catching up to do. And we gave that data to all of our local superintendents and their chief academic officers. And we said, we can't tell you how to spend your money, but here is a list of vetted resources that we think will help your students recover from the pandemic. Now we've seen uneven recovery across our state. So some districts are recovering faster than others. But um, we have in the aggregate, when we look statewide, we have seen 
two consecutive years of post-pandemic recovery, academically speaking, and not all states can say that. So I think that there's definitely local context to, to consider, and, you know, I think um, local leaders in, in Charlotte should um, be able to speak to what their data say and what they're doing, um, how they spent that money. Um, it was hundreds of millions of dollars that, that was given to Charlotte Mecklenburg schools. Um, and, but, but from my point of view, as a state, we have seen academic recovery. And, and I will add that the third grade, end of grade reading scores is actually the subject that we've seen come up above pre-pandemic levels. It's the only one so far that is a, that has risen above where we started before the pandemic. And that is because of the investment we made in, in K through five teachers in a return to phonics instruction in the early grades. And so we know that one of the reasons why 67% of eighth graders in North Carolina start high school every year not reading proficiently before the pandemic is because as a country, we moved away from phonics in the 80s and 90s. And I worked with the legislature four months after coming into office to get a bill passed that invested $70 million of that pandemic money into professional development for teachers that would allow them to use a phonics-based approach to teaching kids to read, and it has paid off in spades. In fact, our kindergarten through third graders' test scores are higher than the rest of the nation. I'm talking with North Carolina Superintendent Catherine Truitt, who is up for re-election. You've already talked about how you worked with the General Assembly to try and get stiffer laws and punishment for school staff members that do inappropriate things with children. What are some of the other things that you've worked on with the General Assembly? Well, I think I mentioned one already, the, the, you know, asking our teachers to participate in an 18-month professional development in the science of reading or, or phonics coming out of the pandemic was a really heavy lift. Asking them to do that was asking a lot of them, but there really, there really was not a moment to waste um, when, it, when it comes to writing this ship about reading when too many kids are starting high school not reading proficiently. Another thing that we worked on with them is the Parents' Bill of Rights, of course, and that was something that um, I fully supported. I, I believe with every fiber of my being that no one cares more about a child than that child's parents, and it is not the state's responsibility to raise children. And so what that legislation did was take all of the laws that impact students and their families having to do with public schools and put them in one place. And then it also created some, some other laws that the Department of Public Instruction um, is, is responsible for providing guidance to districts on. But most of that legislation is, um, must be implemented at, at the local level. But that legislation also really, I think, was a, a lightning rod because um, people said, well, you know, the, 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 these laws existed already. Well, you know, the, maybe some of them did, but not all of them did. And let's make things more transparent and easier for parents. I also testified um, for Senator Sawyer's Fairness in Women's Sports Act. I am a firm believer as a, a, a mother of female athletes um, who are in college um, that it is not okay 
for biological males to compete with girls. I, I've looked at the research. Uh, I've looked at the, the data for even four years after taking hormonal treatments. Um, males still have a 10% advantage over women in, 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 in physical competition. And it is absolutely common sense that boys should not be competing in girls' sports. Uh, another thing that we did was we, um, every year in North Carolina, we leave 50,000 jobs in IT on the table because of lack of qualified workers. And so I worked with the legislature to get a law passed that will make computer science a graduation requirement. Um, I think this is very forward thinking of North Carolina. We're not the first state to do this, but it's certainly something that um, we needed to do in order to remain competitive and ensure that our students have every opportunity possible for uh, to be either in, employed, enlisted, or enrolled when they graduate from high school. Um, another thing that we passed was the um, a requirement that all students will have a career development plan while they're in middle school that will follow them to high school. And the reason that we did this is because our data show that 30% of kids in North Carolina graduate from high school every year and get any kind of certificate or degree of workforce value by the time they're 24 years old. So in other words, 30% of kids are getting either a two-year degree, a four-year degree, or maybe a truck driver's license or uh, a coding certificate, something that will get them a job by the time they are 24 years old. And that is such a low number. Only 23% of kids will get a four-year degree by the time they're 24 years old. And so we, we worked really hard to think about, well, how could, we, how could we enable kids to better understand what their pathways are if they don't want to go to college? And, and this is all wrapped up in something I feel very passionately about, Brett, and that is that we have to stop telling kids and their parents that the only pathway to the middle class is a four-year college degree. College degrees are great, and if you get a college degree in a certain field, then you will absolutely make more money than someone who doesn't have a college degree. But that's not what a lot of our students are doing. They're going and getting degrees in fields that, that don't lead to a job, um, or certainly a, a job that, that allows them to buy a house and support a family. And so we need to make sure that students and their families understand all of the options available. And part of this legislation that requires kids in middle school to start this career development plan will require schools to provide opportunities for kids to learn about all kinds of careers. There's, there are amazing software companies that, that do this, that um, allow for students, let's say they have an interest in um, food and nutrition. Well, they, they can explore the hundreds of careers that, uh, you know, careers that a, a kid may, ne may never, or an adult even, may never have even heard of, and then they can learn what they need to do, what kind of education they need to get, how much that education will cost in order to, to do that job. Again, it's all about making sure 
that all kids are employed, enlisted, or enrolled when they graduate from high school. When we return, we'll conclude our interview with North Carolina Superintendent Catherine Truitt. I'm Brett Jensen, and you're listening to Breaking with Brett Jensen. News Talk 1110 and 99.3 WBT. Brett Jensen here on this final segment of Breaking with Brett Jensen on a Friday night. 704-570-1110. As always is the telephone number. And guys, make sure you follow me on Twitter at Brett underscore Jensen for all the latest and breaking news in and around the Charlotte area. So I'm wrapping up my interview with North Carolina Superintendent Catherine Truitt, who's running for re-election. She does have a challenger in the Republican primary, and this is all part of our preview to the primary. So I'm curious, when you first took over, there was a lot of talk about CRT, especially after the George Floyd riots. But you don't hear a lot about CRT much anymore in the classrooms. Is it gone, or what's the deal with CRT in North Carolina? Well, I think there's a lot of misunderstanding about what CRT is. I, I think a better term to use would be woke. I, I think that the wokeism that we're seeing in our schools and some of the um, values and policies that are being forced onto teachers and principals from local boards of education is really what parents are reacting to. And also, I would say that there are teachers out there who do impose their personal views on their students. Um, I think sometimes it's done unwittingly and other times it's done deliberately. But I, I think that it's not most teachers. Um, but I also think that this has no place in the classroom. Students should not know what political affiliation their teachers are. And that doesn't mean that conversations can't be had. I've talked to lots of teachers who say that their goal is for their students not to know how they vote, despite any conversations they may have about current events. Um, but I, I do think that, you know, we, we've seen a lot, one of our large districts this week just vote to allocate resources to create LGBTQ libraries in schools uh, and, and to create educational or to be able to purchase education materials specific to LGBTQ causes, and I just don't think that that has any place in our public schools, especially when districts are crying for more resources. And there's absolutely nothing that the state superintendent or the state school board, not that they would, can actually do anything about that, right? Well, the state school board currently is made up of all of Governor Cooper's appointees, except for one remaining Republican appointee. So I, I wouldn't think that, that political appointees of Governor Cooper's would take up that issue. But even if they wanted to, they do not have any recourse or any authority to impact those kinds of, of local decisions. Talking with North Carolina State Superintendent Catherine Truitt, who's up for re-election. So is there anything I didn't ask you about that you want to discuss? And if we did cover everything, then is there anything that you'd like to say in these closing moments? Yeah, thank you for that opportunity. Uh, I am so proud of the work that my administration and I have done in the past three years. We have been laser focused on, first of all, reopening schools um, after all of the mandates that came down from the governor's office. We've been laser focused on getting kids recovered from this pandemic. And I am thrilled to say that statewide, we are seeing academic recovery happen. We also have worked to change the narrative about all kids needing to go to college so that we can make sure 
that kids are employed, enlisted, enrolled when they graduate from high school. This is essential if we are going to grow our economy in North Carolina. And I also love that I can say that I've been able to work with the legislature to get real meaningful legislation passed that is going to impact the lives of children and their families. And I am so proud to say that the team that I have built is so much bigger than one person, bigger than me. It is about doing what's right for kids, doing what's right for their parents, and making sure that our educators and their leaders have what they need in order to meet the needs of all kids. North Carolina Superintendent Catherine Truitt, I really do appreciate you joining me tonight. Thank you, Brett. It's been a pleasure. So there you have it as we continue our preview to the primary, and that was North Carolina Superintendent Catherine Truitt. I really do appreciate her taking a lot of time to spend with me tonight. She is, after all, still trying to do her job and in the middle of a campaign. So she's an extremely busy woman, and I do appreciate it. So that's going to do it for us tonight. So if you miss any part of the interviews with North Carolina Treasurer and Gubernatorial Candidate Del Falwell or North Carolina Superintendent Catherine Truitt, go to WBT.com to check them out in their entirety. Have a great weekend, everyone. We're going to continue this again next week as we continue our preview to the primary. I'm Brett Jensen, and you've been listening to Breaking with Brett Jensen.